I think it's really about uh, spending time with the people you're trying to serve. Um, you know, my passion since I got involved in politics was door-to-door -door canvassing. Um, going out in the hot sun and knocking on a stranger's door and talking to them about politics. You know, it sounds intimidating and it, it sounds tough, but it really is incredibly powerful to be able to ask someone, what do you deal with day to day? What could an elected official do uh, to make your life better? This episode of Beyond Aporia originated in the Howenstein Center's webcast, Lunch and Learn with Gleaves, available at www.gvsu.edu slash hc. Welcome to the Howenstein Center's online program, Lunch and Learn. I'm your host, Gleaves Whitney. Are America's young adults despairing over the events of the last few months, especially since Memorial Day, we seem to be living in a winter-like spring, unlike any other in living memory. To find a guide to help with this question, I sought out Cameron Jones. Cam is a recent political science and international relations graduate from Grand Valley State University. Also, impressively, he was a 2019 Truman Scholarship finalist in recognition of his academic achievement and commitment to public service. And a recent graduate of our Peter C. Cook Leadership Academy, Cam joins me to discuss his political commitments, his political dedication, and reflect on leadership in our troubled times. My conversation with Cam will go, oh, 25, 30 minutes or so, followed by questions from our viewers. So feel free to begin sending your questions to us right away using your Zoom toolbar to do so. Well, thanks so much, Cam, for being my guest on today's uh, webcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Gleaves, for the invitation. Uh, being a member of the Cook Leadership Academy and Getting to know you has been uh, one of my favorite parts of my student experience here at Grand Valley. And it was an honor to get that email to be invited to participate in one of your Lunch and Learn discussions. Oh, you're very nice. Well, first, congratulations on your recent graduation. This is not exactly the world you expected to start your career in. So I ask you, do you feel despair or hope? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. This is um, not the world I expected to be graduating into. Uh, and looking back on what's brought me here, I, I honestly feel like my life and, and the life of folks who are in my generation has been under a shadow of, of despairing events since the beginning. You know, the first day of three-year-old preschool for me was September 11th, 2001. Um, I didn't go to school that day. My mom kept me in the house. And, uh, you know, next I, I know that my dad's job was affected by the financial crash of 2007 and the Great Recession that followed. And then we had uh, war that continued and continues today. Um, and some of the inciting incidents actually for me to be involved in politics and, and to want to make a difference. Um, more unfortunately, the, the deaths of innocent black men and boys um, like George Floyd throughout the last decade. You know, I, I really didn't think much about race or about racial justice um, until People like Tamir Rice, uh, Eric Garner, um, Michael Brown were left dead in the street and forced me to reckon with why nobody in my community ever dealt with anything like that. Um, and then the year I started college, 2016, was the election of Donald Trump. And every year since then has felt like a lifetime, um, which brings us here to today with the coronavirus pandemic um, and national unrest over the death of George Floyd. So. Yes, it, it would be really easy to say that 
it's all about despair, you know, that we really don't have any hope left. But seeing people here in Grand Rapids uh, protest and, and say that they want justice for someone who looks very different uh, than them and, and who died in a community far from here does give me hope that there are people like myself, young people who are still committed to fighting for a better America for um, Black people here in our country. Well, give us a little bit more of an idea about your background, your family, where you grew up, so that we have a little more context for your commitments today. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a community called Downriver, Michigan. It's a community in Southeast Michigan, which is down the Detroit River from Detroit, um, so about 25 minutes outside of the city. Um, I went to Gabriel Richard Catholic High School in Riverview, Michigan, and it was really there that I met some of the mentors who pushed me toward uh, academic excellence and leadership ability. I decided to attend Grand Valley for college. I started there, like I said, in 2016. Um, and really starting uh, right around that time, I began getting involved in political campaigns. The first campaign actually that I, I got involved in was with the secretary at my high school, um, who I knew was running for state rep. And I decided to help her out and knock some doors for her. And uh, you know, since then, it's just been something that I found that I love, that uh, I, I really feel like empowers me to make a difference. Um, and I'd be happy to tell you a little bit more about the other things I've done. And we'll, we'll get through some of those things a little bit later, but I do want to start out sure. also while we're in the early part of our conversation, asking you the, the Bob Quinn question. Uh, Robert Quinn, of course, the great leadership guru from the University of Michigan, who has come to our Leadership Academy and uh, really taught us a whole lot. So let me ask you the Bob Quinn question that he loves to ask. What makes you a special and unique human being, Cam? It's a great question. That is a, a deep question. Um, I would say my answer to that is, is not anything that couldn't make another person special, but for me, what I know has really brought me to this point in my life has been my ability to learn from everyone that I come into contact with and really walk away uh, from every interaction that I have with a better understanding of the person I was across the table from, across the sidewalk from, you know, not only folks like you, Gleaves, who have been a mentor to me from the top of an organization, but the people that I've met canvassing door to door in my home community over on the east side and also here in Grand Rapids. You know, I still carry with me the stories of folks like the young mother who I talked to when I was knocking doors for Winnie Brinks, uh, who said that seeing someone like Winnie who was a role model for her three young daughters meant the world to her, that they could grow up in a world where their state senator was a proud and powerful woman like Winnie Brinks. Um, and also folks who I worked with last summer uh, when I interned in the Detroit City Council President's Office, you know, going to community meetings and meeting people who were so invested in improving their communities, um, doing everything that they could to try to make the community a safer place, a happier place, for their kids uh, and their grandparents, walking away and, and knowing where they're coming from and knowing that I can take that uh, knowledge to the next place I go. Cam, where does this deep commitment to connect with others uh, in the whole human family, uh, people who are like you, people who are unlike you, where does that commitment to connect with them come from? That's a great question. Uh, I guess I would say hmm, it, it comes from a, a, a desire to understand, to understand that my background is, is a pretty common one. You know, I, I'm a white kid from the suburbs of Detroit. Uh, there, there's a lot of people like me 
here in America, but, but there's a lot of people who are different than me as well. And if I limit my, my life and my understanding to the perspective of, of a white kid from the suburbs, um, it's, it's not a very rich understanding of the world. I, you know, I think it's really important to think about the ways that other people see the world, the, the experiences that they have, the, the knowledge that they have um, that I could never have if, if I don't open up and take the time to talk and listen and learn. Admirable traits all. Now you chose to come to the other side of the state from your home. Why did you choose specifically to come to Grand Valley? And uh, also tell us about what you did once you got on campus. Yeah, well, this is a story that I love to tell. Um, and, and I will say, I honestly didn't think about coming to Grand Valley until just about the end of my senior year of high school. I was committed to Michigan State for uh, my entire junior year and, and most of my senior year as well. And I got a letter from Grand Valley inviting me to come to a scholarship competition to check out the campus. And I'll never forget, my mom told me, well, you know, I know it's not your top choice, but you should go just in case somebody else invites you. You'll at least know what the day is like and you'll get to see another college. So I said, all right, you know, why not? I'll get to skip school for a day and go check out a cool college campus. So why not? I'll go for it. And at the end of the day, we got in the car. My mom said, oh, did you have a good day? I said, I think I'm going to go to college here. And she was shocked. She couldn't believe it. Um, but really, I had so many powerful interactions with faculty members and staff that day here at Grand Valley who were invested in me, were genuinely curious about what I was going to learn, what I was going to do, who were sharing opportunities with me um, that I knew I, I couldn't get that anywhere else. And I, I did a similar tour at Michigan State, and I was holding up with a group of about 30 other people led by a tour guide who didn't talk to me much at all. Um, so it was really that personal connection that I felt uh, to the folks here at Grand Valley that they made me want to commit to come to school here. And I'm so glad that I did. I jumped right into those opportunities as a first year student. I started my own student organization with the help of the Office of Student Life and some of the faculty members in the political science department. And I did the first year leadership experience as well, which helped me build a campus network and gave me some of the tools to get involved in something like the Cook Leadership Academy that um, was that next level of leadership training. That's really great. You were also on the Senate for a couple of years, as I recall. I was, yeah. And, and one of my biggest regrets about Grand Valley is that I didn't know about Student Senate in my first year, or I would have done it. Um, but I had a friend who told me at the end of the year that they were going to do elections uh, in that last month before my first year ended. So I put my name on the ballot. I made it uh, onto the body by, I think, about three or four votes. Uh, I was right near the bottom of the list, but I made it. Um, and I made the most of it that, that first year that I was on um, and got involved on our external relations committee. I got to host a letter drive for students here at Grand Valley to send letters to the legislature uh, asking them to prioritize our school in the budget because we are uh, one of the most high performing schools, but also one of the uh, least funded schools here in our state. I'm really getting to share that message and activate my fellow students. Um, showed me the power of student government. Um, and, and student organizing. And then in my second year, I decided to run for a uh, chairman position on that committee. I won it um, and got to lead a team of wonderful student organizers um, in my second year on Student Senate. And that will always be one of my uh, most treasured memories of my time at Grand Valley. Well, Cam, what it strikes me, because we're going to get into your academic achievement here in just a minute, is you were so involved with all these different activities, but you also maintained a very high GPA. I mean, you've, you've been a phenomenally successful scholar at Grand Valley. 
How did you balance those two things? A lot of help. <laughs> a lot of help. I mean, the, the professors that I've gotten to know here um, have changed my life. And getting to know that I could come to them for help, come to them for advice, um, tell them, you know, I've got this really great opportunity with Student Senate, but it means I'm going to have to turn in my essay a day late. Can, can we work together to, you know, make sure I'm still giving you something that is high quality that you can be proud of and I can be proud of and still make, meet this other opportunity? And those professors were so supportive. I, I never had anyone tell me, no, I don't want to see you succeed. Everybody always said, I do want to see you succeed and I will work with you to make sure that you can find success here at our university. Um, so I just have to say, you know, it's, it's all about that faculty that is so supportive and so caring. What a positive message at this difficult time. You also, Cam, reached for a very difficult goal in your undergraduate career. You sought the Truman Fellowship. Tell us what the Truman Fellowship is and why you went for it. So the, the Truman Fellowship is uh, the United States' most competitive and um, most sought after graduate level award uh, for aspiring public servants. And coming into my college career, I, I had no idea what the Truman Fellowship was. Um, and Elizabeth Lambert, who was the uh, director of the Office of Fellowships, approached me, told me it was something that she wanted to talk about. So she sat me down at the end of my uh, first year and um, encouraged me to go for it, taught me about the benefits of graduate education, why I might want to give it a shot. Um, and she kept on me. We uh, talked about it more and more over the years. And in my third year, when you're able to apply, um, I, I did end up throwing my name in. And uh, those were some sleepless nights, uh, drafting and redrafting essays, sending them to Elizabeth, getting a draft back, creating a new version, sending it to her, getting some edits back, um, preparing with Hugh Leaves and other members of Howenstein to uh, make my interview skills um, ready for that tough interview. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was one of the hardest things I think I've ever done. Um, and I'm so proud that I was able to accomplish it with your help and, and the help, like I said, of, of people like Elizabeth and the other members, of, staff members of Howenstein. Well, Cam, you did all of us proud. We are so thrilled that you made it so far through the process, a, an extremely competitive scholarship to get. And I want to ask you, since you did talk about your commitment to public service, you have this keen interest in politics. It's, I think it's unusual for a young person your age to have expressed this so, uh, so well, so early in your life. Where does that come from in you? It comes from a, a desire to make a change, you know, and, and a desire to give back. My success and being able to get where I am is because people were invested in me. You know, I had family members from a young age who were there to support me and, and talk me through life's challenges and, and make sure that I had the tools to achieve whatever I wanted. Um, and then when I went off into the world, you know, on my own, there were always people who were there asking me what they could do to help. Um, and, and that's what I want to be to other people. I, you know, I want to be someone who can help, who can be a resource and a mentor and a guide um, for the folks in my community. And I see public service as one way to do that. And your particular path to public service has landed you pretty closely with the Democratic Party and not, say, with the Republicans or the Libertarians or the Green Party. Tell us a little bit about uh, what attracted you to the Democratic Party. Absolutely. 
Um, well, I, yeah, I, I have done uh, my work with Democrats uh, here in Michigan, you know, wonderful folks uh, back home from my community. Darren Camilleri was the uh, state representative of my home district and um, one of the first people I worked with in politics and one of those people who was a mentor to me who showed me what it meant to get out in the community, be active and make a difference. Um, and having him there at home, out in the community active and, and not partisan, either not saying I'm only going to help Democrats, I'm going to help folks on both sides of the aisle, uh, really showed me the, the people-focused mentality of Democratic leaders here in our state. Wonderful. And tell us about the current campaign you're working on. Yeah, right now I'm working with a candidate named Bill Saxton running for the 73rd district, which um, includes the city of East Grand Rapids, as well as uh, Grand Rapids Township, Plainfield Township, uh, Cannon, Cortland, Spencer, Nelson, and Oakfield Townships as well, um, kind of spoking out from the city of Grand Rapids. Um, Bill is a father of three young kids. He's a, a former small business owner and engineer, um, and someone I've really been proud to get to know uh, since I began working on his campaign full-time as the campaign manager in March. Well, and I've got to ask you this, over the last few months, you know, campaigning's changed for everybody. So in your particular race that you're working on now, how has campaigning changed as a result of the coronavirus and social distancing and all this enforced isolation compared to your previous experience on campaigns? Yeah, well, I have been able to work with a number of candidates, you know, like I said, Representative Camilleri, as well as uh, Senator Winnie Brinks. And I thought I was going to be bringing a lot of that background knowledge to the role. And then uh, the coronavirus pandemic hit the same month that I started on the campaign. So every day has really been going back to first principles, figuring out what we can do to stay engaged with people, continue to spread our message, um, and really work toward victory in November. So we've been doing a lot of work uh, on digital. We've got our website, billinthehouse.com, up and running. Um, we've got a Facebook page where we connect with folks and have done a couple live events. Um, and we've done a lot of phone calls as well. You know, we're really fortunate to have a team of 30 passionate interns um, from the surrounding community who are dedicating their time to call voters in our community and have those conversations about uh, what folks prioritize uh, in a candidate in November and um, if they'd be willing to vote for someone like Bill. And what do you think is going to happen in November? Not only at the state, at the local level and the state level, but also the national level. I'd like to know your opinion. Well, that is the uh, question of our time. Um, my hope here at, at the local level here in the 73rd district is that we will win. I, I think Bill really offers uh, a vision of a better future for our families here. And I hope folks are going to uh, vote for that in November. And and I hope they'll vote for the same thing at the national level. You know, I, unfortunately, I think President Trump has, has shown a lack of leadership uh, in the current crisis, not only the, the coronavirus pandemic, but um, in the response to the death of George Floyd. And I hope folks will vote for uh, Joe Biden as someone who can step up to fill that gap uh, of leadership in November. And do you want to run for office someday? I've never been the type of person to have my eyes on an office or a title. Um, my goal is really to be able to make the lives of the people around me better. Um, and whether that's, that's in public office or whether it's uh, in other positions, you know, that, that I have come into contact with, you know, people who've been in office and people who've not been in office have, have had a similar positive effect on my life. And so 
if the best way for that for me to do that um, is as an elected official, then I'd be proud to. But you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I want to be president someday. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised if you did. Uh, well, we you, have a lot of faith in you, Cam. <laughs> thank you, please. Well, um, as you work on campaigns and as you see sort of the degradation of politics, frankly, in so many races around the country, how have you kept from becoming cynical? I think it's really about uh, spending time with the people you're trying to serve. Um, you know, my passion since I got involved in politics was door-to-door -door canvassing, um, going out in the hot sun and knocking on a stranger's door and talking to them about politics. You know, it sounds intimidating and it, it sounds tough, but it really is incredibly powerful to be able to ask someone, what do you deal with day to day? What could an elected official do uh, to make your life better? And, and what kind of a leader do you want to see for our community because people will open up to you in ways that might surprise you. Um, and it really is that connection with the people we're aiming to serve um, that keeps me motivated because those people are relying on people like me to do this work so that they and their families um, can have a better future here in our state. And Cam, I've got to ask you, when you're talking to your, oh, your cohort, you know, people your age, you know, say you're just socializing with them over a beer, are the people you talk to receptive to that message or do they just want to check out and they look at you and say, why bother? I mean, are they receptive? I think they are because it's their future too. And a lot of my friends understand that. And not only, not only the friends I meet in political science classes, but friends I meet here in Howenstein and, and the high school friends that I still have, they understand that we all have a stake in doing things like, combating climate change, you know, changing our habits to try to uh, make our planet habitable uh, by the time we hit our 50s and 60s, you know, doing things uh, like voting to reform um, our gun laws to make it safe for our kids to go to school and not have to worry about active shooter drills uh, in kindergarten. Um, you know, it, it really is about those changes we can make to leave a better future for our kids um, and, and make this, this country a place we can retire in with dignity. Since we're a presidential studies center, I want to ask you, who's your favorite president? Favorite president, that is, that is a tough one. Um, I would say Jimmy Carter is probably not a very popular answer, but his post-presidency, I think, really speaks to the kind of man that he is. I mean, he is always doing that kind of community service um, that I think is emblematic of the person that we want in the White House. Um, and, and that's what I would want to see, I think, from a leader in the presidential office or otherwise, someone who gives back to their community uh, in a tangible way. And, I, and I've seen that from President Carter. Cam, you're ambitious in the best sense of that word. You want to do so much in public service to make our communities better. Uh, you're not partisan in the way so many people are. I mean, you're eager to work with people who think differently from you, who come from different backgrounds. Um, you know, you've already shown that you can work with Republicans and you know, you're not just in, in one camp and so deeply rooted in it that you can't see outside of it. So, Given your broad background, your ability to work with so many different people, I've got to ask you, 
what would be your life's capstone experience or achievement? Uh, what's the equivalent of your winning the World Series? That's a great question. Um, and, and that's a tough one. Again, like I said, you know, I'm not someone who has my eyes set on a, a specific office title or award. What would really make me proud of myself and what I've done, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to be looking back in 30, 40, 50 years, um, is to know that I left my state here in Michigan a better place than I found it, you know, that, that I've been able to connect people who want the same thing I want, which is health, safety, and, and dignity for our families, um, help build our place, uh, build our state into a better place. Um, my short-term goal would be doing that with my team uh, on the election I'm working on now, but I hope that I can continue to build networks like that of, of young people who care, who want to make a difference, um, and, and who are committed to doing the service necessary to get us there. Now, Cam, you know this question is coming. How did the Hallenstein Center's Cook Leadership Academy help you travel this road that you're on? Innumerable ways. I mean, there are so many things that I could talk about. Um, I, a few, I think, that were really formative for me and that helped me along were uh, our mentorship program. You know, my mentor uh, for the last year was um, an old Republican state representative um, and getting to build a relationship with him and, and learn about what his experience in office was like um, and get to learn about where he comes from really showed me that we all want the same things at the end of the day. We really do. We wanna have our families be safe. We wanna have our families be healthy. Um, and we want to have freedom and dignity uh, here. And, and that's what he fought for in the legislature 30 years ago. And, and it's what my candidate's fighting for today. Um, and even though they're on different sides of the aisle, um, I know we all want the same thing. And so being able to make that connection through the Hauenstein Center was really big for me. Um, but not only those connections outside of the campus community, but inside of it as well. I mean, the fact that you are cultivating a cohort of young people who can support each other um, is just an invaluable tool for someone trying to navigate a university and, and build a network for the first time. Uh, the fact that you baked that into the experience is going to pay dividends for me uh, in decades to come, I'm positive. Well, that's so good to hear. Yeah. Well, we've got some viewers who are queuing up to ask questions, so let's let, let them into our conversation. We have a question from a viewer who asks, you mentioned wanting to have a positive effect on people's lives. How have elected officials had a positive effect on your life? Give an example or two. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that question. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and it's one that um, I'm, I'm really glad I'm able to answer. In my home community in Down River, where I come from, uh, we have a unique problem with the trains. Um, and if you ask anybody in Down River, you say the word train, you're going to put a scowl on their face because uh, we are right near that manufacturing hub in Detroit. Um, we've got trains that run through our town and sometimes leave us uh, blocked at the, the railroad crossing for one, two, three hours at a time. Um, ambulances have been stopped. Folks have died uh, because those trains uh, sit on the tracks and, and don't move um, and cut our communities up. And just this year, uh, or yeah, just this year, um, Representative Camilleri, who I got to work for, made progress on that issue in a way that no one has been able to for decades. Finally got funding approved for a grade separation to put that train uh, a little bit over, you know, over the tracks and let the road go under so folks can pass through, not be stopped day to day 
four hours, losing hours of their day, missing appointments um, with their friends and uh, with their, their doctors, missing work deadlines. Um, and that's what I think politics is most powerful, you know, when it's about those small things that can be fixed, uh, like, you know, getting the trains uh, out of our lives and, and putting them a little bit above so we can drive right on through and continue with their daily lives. Um, that was an intractable issue until he got into office, but he fought for it because he cared about our community. Kind of a, a fix the damn trains situation. Fix the damn trains, it was. <laughs> it, was. it really was. Um, and, and it was his dedication that made it possible. Well, your good colleague, Jacob Begard, asks, what would you say to young people who say that voting doesn't make a difference? Thanks, gotcha. Jacob, for that question. Voting does make a difference because that, that candidate, Representative Camilleri, won his first election by a couple hundred votes. If a couple hundred people had stayed home that day, his opponent would have been in office, and who knows uh, what, what the state of our community would be like. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's, that's just a look at the numbers answer. You know, look at elections that are won and lost on those such thin margins uh, that if you stay home, you're leaving your voice off the table, and you're making it so that the person you want to win uh, might just fall one vote short. Another viewer asks, what's the political issue that really gets you engaged and why? Good question, uh, thank you. Great question, I, I would say racial justice. Um, and we were seeing the consequences of racial inequality play out on American streets uh, at this very moment. Uh, across our nation, we are seeing people who are not satisfied with the current state of things. Um, I mean, that was, like I said earlier, the kind of the inciting incident that got me really interested in making a change um, was seeing that black men and boys were being uh, left dead in the street year after year um, without end. And, and that it's not, it's not these individual incidents that happen and they're gone. Um, it really is a systemic problem that it's going to take uh, high level leadership to solve, you know, and, and listening to black leaders who've been fighting for this justice for decades um, and, and making it so that folks who look like you and me, Gleaves, white people who you know, may not understand our place in, in racial justice, making it so that we do understand that we're just as affected as uh, a, a black man or woman because we're all affected by racism here in our country. You know, it, they are affected most visibly, but if black folks are suffering here in our country, then you and I are suffering too. And so getting folks to understand that we are all in this together, we all have a part to play in, in making racial justice a reality here in our country. I heard a discussion recently in the last 48 hours on what is systemic racism. And one person said that it suffuses our society. Another person, more of a Socratic figure, I guess, questioned that and said, well, you haven't defined it properly. I don't mean to put you on the spot, Cam, because we did not, we've not talked about this before, but how do you define systemic racism, if I may ask? I can't give you a, a Socratic definition, but I, I can point to examples. You know, the fact that you can say that uh, black mothers face worse health outcomes than white mothers because doctors have the implicit bias often to think that black women are especially tough. And so when a black woman is having pain in childbirth that's unusual and indicative of a deeper problem, Doctors will often brush her aside, and that leads to higher infant mortality rates and higher mortality rates for black mothers uh, than white mothers, because we have a system of racism that teaches us to ignore the pain of black women. Um, and, and systemic racism also looks like 
higher arrest rates for uh, black people than white people for the same crimes, because black folks here in our country are often viewed uh, through a criminal lens, often uh, given that suspicion, uh, no matter what they're doing, that leads to those uh, higher incarceration rates and uh, more severe sentences, again, for the exact same crimes in the same situations as white folks. Uh, systemic racism results in uh, black folks being put behind in terms of property, in terms of wealth, uh, in terms of leadership opportunity. You know, I've talked a lot about mentorship uh, throughout our conversation here today. And I didn't have my first black school teacher until I was here at Grand Valley State in college. <clears throat> Having those mentors throughout my life enabled me to get where I am. And without them, you know, if I didn't have mentors who looked like me and cared about me and invested in me, I know I would not be here today. Um, so I hope those are just some examples that illustrate that it really is from health to uh, crime to just everyday leadership. Uh, black folks are at a disadvantage here in our country. Well, thank you. I, I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I think you answered very concretely in a way that our viewers can appreciate and learn from. Cam, we have another question. A viewer says uh, that uh, you seem to have a call to action, especially in light of recent events for young people. You want them to get involved in the political process, but what is specifically your call to action? My, my first call to action would be to protest. Uh, you know, be peaceful about it, but send your message. Send your message that what's going on right now is not okay, that we will be in the streets and we will be seen and we will be heard. Uh, because that's the best way to uh, give that initial first response to the fact that this injustice is so stark um, that we are going to make our uh, will for justice known. But the next day, you can't just sit at home and say, I did my part. I showed up to the protest and I'm done. If you really want to make a difference in this country, find a cause and give your time. And if you have the money, give your money toward it. Um, and that's not only campaigns like mine, although I know that there are many candidates who would love volunteers at this time, but uh, it's organizations led by black people, organizations and community uh, funds and um, local organizing efforts as well that need uh, white folks to give their time and energy to. So if you want to make a difference, show up, uh, be there, be in the streets when you're needed, and then show up the next day as well with your feet, with your hands, and with your pocketbook if you're able to give to those groups that are building toward justice day after day, whether or not there's somebody in the streets. Well, that's a very powerful peroration to our conversation. Cam, is there anything else you would like to talk about or mention that we haven't covered? Um, I would just want to say one more time, thank you so much to everyone um, at the Howenstein Center who has been invested in me these last four years, um, and all of the mentors, you know, my family, my mom, Gina, my dad, Steve, um, my high school teachers who saw me through that experience and gave me this, the best foundation I could ask for um, to go out and, and make a difference. So um, just a message of thanks and to folks who are listening to make that same investment in the young people in your life because it, it will make a difference and it will pay dividends, I promise. Well, Cam, you really do us proud and we thank you so much. I'm so proud of you and, and so happy that you were able to be my guest on today's Lunch and Learn. Viewers can see why we at the Hallenstein Center have so enjoyed working with you in our Cook Leadership Academy and 
we wish you all the best. Yeah. And I invite those who've tuned in to fill out the brief survey and let us know what you thought of today's program with Cam. I also invite you to zoom in or join us on Facebook at the same time on Tuesday, June 11th for our next Lunch and Learn webcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about us too. Till Tuesday, stay tuned to all our offerings at the Hallenstein Center and stay well. Thank you so much, Grace. Thank you, Cam. Beyond Aporia is a podcast brought to you by the Hallenstein Center for Presidential Studies at Grand Valley State University. The director of the Hallenstein Center and producer of this podcast is Gleaves Whitney. The theme music was composed by Andrew Whitney. The Hallenstein Center is inspired by Ralph W. Hallenstein's legacy of leadership and service. Our programs address many of the pressing issues that Americans face. To learn more about the Hallenstein Center, please visit us at www.gvsu.edu hc. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. This is Gleaves Whitney.